Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. What's up, everybody? And welcome to The Reluctant Historian. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. I'm your host, Liz Lawson. And this is our reluctant historian, Dakota Lawson. On this podcast, I'll tell him a story from history, and he'll share his unapologetic thoughts and opinions. So if you love history, or you absolutely hate it, this podcast is for you. So today's episode is a continuation of last week's episode. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, go back and listen to part one. But today we're going to be talking about part two of the Donner Party. So sit down, buckle up, and get ready to listen to part two of The Donner Party. recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory in the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement and recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. All right, so we're not doing a golden nugget this week. We've got a lot of information to still cover about the Donner Party, so we want to just get into it right now. Yes, let's get into this potential cannibalism. Huh? Eh? I that's an intrigue. I'm building building intrigue for the audience, even even if the, there ends up not being cannibalism. But if there isn't, I might be pissed. We'll see. <laughs> okay, go ahead. All right. So previously on previously on the Donner Party, we were introduced to the characters. We learned about why people were traveling west across America. Uh, we learned about Hastings and his smarmy little cutoff. Just a little. Little dickhead. Yes. And we also learned about how there was a lot of tribulations for the Donner Party crossing the Hastings Cutoff and how they got a lot of their wagons stuck in the mud and it took them an extra month and all these things. So we are left here with the Donner Party being in not a great position to continue through the most difficult part of the journey, which is through the Sierra Nevada mountain range. And that is where we are going to start today, listeners. Faced with one last push over the mountains that were described as much worse than the Wasatch Range, the ragtag group had to decide whether to forge ahead and rest their, or rest their cattle. It was October 20th, and they had been told that the pass would not be snowed in until the middle of November. William Pike was then killed when a gun being loaded by a nearby group member was discharged negligently. Oh. And the event seemed to make the decision for them. Family by family, they resumed their journey. First the Breens, then the Keesbergs, Stanton with Reed, Graves, and the Murphys. The Donners waited and traveled last. After a few miles of rough terrain, an axle broke on one of their wagons. Jacob and George went to the woods to build a replacement. George Donner sliced his hand open while chiseling the wood, but it seemed like a superficial wound. 
Snow then began to fall. No. And what month was this? This is October. So it was an early snowfall for them. Not an early snowfall. Just nothing went right that, for these guys. That, that reminds me of when I was young and I would be in snow trying to go get candy, trick-or-treating. Tre- what I'm saying is I've been through similar stuff. You, you know, we yeah. all, I can relate is what I'm saying. The Breens made it up the massive, nearly vertical slope, 1,000 feet, to Truckee Lake, which has since been renamed Donner Lake. Do you think the person that was named Truckee, uh, or I'm guessing it was named after somebody who last name was named Truckee, uh, do you think that they were upset after they, or were they dead? I'm assuming you didn't look into the history of Truckee Lake. <laughs> I did not, surprisingly. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm just like, he's probably just like, oh, but that was my lake. Yeah, he was probably really upset. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Truckee Lake was just five kilometers from the summit, and they decided, the Breens, decided to camp near a cabin that was there that had been built two years earlier by another group of pioneers. The Eddies and the Kiesbergs joined the Breens, attempting to make it over the pass, but they found five to ten foot snowdrifts and were unable to find the trail. They turned back for Truckee Lake, and within a day, all of the families were camped there except for the Donners, who were a half-day's journey below them. Sixty members and associates of the Breen, Graves, Reed, Murphy, Kiesberg, and Eddie families set up for the winter at Truckee Lake. Three widely separated cabins of pine logs served as their homes, with dirt floors and poorly constructed flat roofs when it rained. The Breens occupied one cabin, the Eddies and the Murphys another, and the Reeds and the Graves in the third. This seems like like a hotel getaway or something like that. I was expecting them to be freezing in, in, in the, the wilderness, but no, they've got luxury cabins. Luxury? Well, I'm picturing them as luxury. <laughs> yeah, okay, I don't think they are. Okay. <laughs> Kiesberg built a lean-to for his family against the side of the Breen cabin. The families used canvas or oxhide to patch the faulty roofs. The cabins had no windows or doors, only large holes to allow entry. Mm, see, luxury. that information would have been better served before I said luxury. <laughs> Does it change your opinion? Only slightly. Got it. Of the 60 people at Truckee Lake, 19 were men over the age of 18, 12 were women, and 29 of them were children, six of whom were toddlers or younger. Oh, gross. That's not what I was expecting. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what were you expecting? Well, I don't know. No reaction to the fact that they were toddlers and children? Oh, no. What I'm saying is that that's too many children. Got it. That's a lot. Got it. Like, oh, and they're, uh, I didn't even think about this. They're probably going to die. Farther down. Or get eaten, which would also mean they would die. Continue. Farther down the trail, close to Alder Creek, the Donner families hastily constructed tents to house the 21 people that were there, including Mrs. Wolfinger, her child, and the Donner's drivers. This group was made up of six men, three women, and 12 children in all. On the evening of November 4th, it began to snow again, the beginning of a storm that lasted eight days. What? Eight days? That's long. That's a long-ass storm. Holy. Mm-hmm. Well, they're up in the mountains. Yeah. That sounds awful. Yeah. By the time the party made camp, very little food remained from the supplies that Stanton had brought back from Sutter's Fort. Then, the oxen began to die. No. And their carcasses were frozen and stacked. Truckee Lake was not yet frozen, but the pioneer families were unfamiliar with catching lake trout. William Eddy, the most experienced hunter, killed a bear, but had little luck after that. I mean, that's pretty impressive i, I mean so too. go all you're on top be like well i don't have to kill anything anymore i, I just killed, killed the bear, bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
The Reed and Eddy families had lost almost everything. Margaret Reed promised to pay double when they got to California for the use of three oxen from the Graves and Breen families. Graves charged $25, which was normally the cost of two healthy oxen for the carcass of an ox that had starved to death. Desperation grew in camp, and some reasoned that individuals might succeed in navigating the pass where wagons could not. In small groups, they made several attempts, but each time they returned defeated. Another severe storm lasting more than a week covered the area so deeply that the cattle and horses, their only remaining food, died and were lost in the snow. Wow. Sounds like they're going to have to start eating each other. Patrick Breen began keeping a diary on November 20th. He concerned himself primarily with the weather, marking the storms and how much snow had fallen, but gradually began to include references to God and religion in his entries. Life at Truckee was miserable. The cabins were cramped and filthy, and it snowed so much that people were unable to go outdoors for days. The diet soon consisted of oxhide, strips of which were boiled to make a disagreeable glue-like jelly. Ugh, ugh. That image in my head. It's like, it's like a, just a brown, mushy, you, you take a spoon, you put it in, you, you lift it up, and it's like, it drips off of it, just like all gross-like. That's how I'm picturing it. Yeah, it sounds disgusting. Ugh. Gross. Ox and horse bones were boiled repeatedly to make soup, and they became so brittle that they would crumble upon chewing. Sometimes they were softened by being charred and then eaten. Bit by bit, the Murphy children picked apart the oxhide rug that lay in front of their fireplace, roasted it in the fire, and ate it. Oh. Sometimes they would catch and eat mice that strayed into oh. the cabins. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> Is it weird that... <laughs> that right now i'm just like oh this is so gross and when they start eating each other i'm gonna be like nice you know continue <laughs> who said they're gonna eat each other i did multiple times that's how the story ends okay keep going <laughs> many of the people at Truckee lake were soon weakened and spent most of their time in bed occasionally one would be able to make the full day trek to see the donners and the group at Truckee learned that jacob donner and three hired men had died they also learned that george donner's hand had become infected which left only four men able to do the work at the Donner Camp. At Truckee, Margaret Reed had managed to save enough food for a Christmas pot of soup, to the delight of her children. Wait, wait, save money for a Christmas pot of soup? I don't know where you got money from. I said she just saved enough food. Oh, oh, sorry, okay. I thought you said she saved enough money. Saved uh, enough food. Oh, I misheard you. I was like, where's this store? <laughs> <laughs> It's a secret story. Yeah, I was like, I was very See, confused. They didn't eat each other. They just got to buy their food. For, wait, they didn't eat each other? I told you. I don't know. Okay, keep going. But I'm very disappointed if they don't eat each other. Okay, keep going. Um. So, but by January, they were facing starvation and considered eating the ox hides that served as their roof. Margaret Reed, Virginia, Milt Elliott, and the servant girl Eliza Williams attempted to walk out, reasoning that it would be better to try and bring food back than to sit and watch the children starve. They were gone for four days in the snow before they had to turn back, which also I like just think about and I'm like, could you imagine us just being like out traipsing across the huge fucking snowdrifts looking for food? <laughs> not you. <laughs> Obviously no, not you. No, this, this, what you were describing to me, um... This sounds like the worst kind of hell. So it's really good that you were born when you were born. Absolutely. Um, although, you know, depending on when you were born, you might be better equipped for it, right? You know, I didn't wouldn't have had 
video games and stuff like that to distract me from learning how to survive. But still, if I was born like I am, you know, and grown into who I am and stuff like that, I would fucking die immediately. Or I'd just, like, lay in the snow or lay in the cabin and be like, I'm not moving. And then I'd just die eventually. Like, I just, I, I can't even imagine what this kind of hell was like. That's fair. I hate snow. If it, I, I live in Canada, but that's... <laughs> It wasn't my choice, okay? <laughs> it's so fucking cold here in the winter. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they were gone, this group of people, gone for four days. Then they turned back. Their cabin was now uninha- uninhabitable. The oxhide roof served as their food supply, and the family had to move in with the Breens. The servants went to live with other families. One day, the Graves came by to collect on the debt owed by the Reeds and took the oxhides, which was all the family had to eat. Then... The mountain party at Truckee Lake began to fail. Spitzer died, then Bayless Williams, who was a driver for the Reeds. Both died from malnutrition, then from starvation. Franklin Graves fashioned 14 pairs of snowshoes out of oxbows and hide. On December 16th, a group of 17 men, women, and children set out on foot in an attempt to cross the mountain pass. As evidence of how grim their choices were, four of the men were fathers. Three of the women, who were mothers, gave their young children to other women. They packed lightly, taking what had become six days of rations, a rifle, a blanket each, a hatchet, and some pistols, hoping to make their way to Bear Valley. Historian Charles... <laughs> That's where I want to go. Let's go to Bear Valley. <laughs> yeah, all the bears are theirs. Yeah, get fucking killed. Okay. Well, they killed a bear. No, one guy killed a bear, okay? <laughs> that doesn't mean everyone can do it. That's fair. Historian Charles McGlashan later called this snowshoe party the Forlorn Hope. Two of those without snowshoes, Charles Berger and 10-year-old William Murphy, turned back early on. Other members of the party fashioned a pair of snowshoes. Snowshoes. <laughs> Let's put on our snowshoes, eh? Fashioned a pair of snowshoes for 12-year-old Lemuel Murphy on the first evening from one of the pack saddles that they were carrying. The snowshoes proved to be awkward but effective on the arduous climb. The members of the group were neither well-nourished nor accustomed to camping in snow t- 12 feet deep, and by the third day, most were snowblind. On the sixth day, Eddie discovered that his wife had hidden half a pound of bear meat in his pack. The group set out again on the morning of December 21st. Stanton, who had been straggling for several days, remained behind, saying that he would follow shortly. His remains were found in that location the following year. The group became lost and confused, and after two more days without food, Patrick Dolan proposed that one of them should volunteer to die in order to feed the others. Yeah. So listeners, his face is it's, just lit up. It's happening. It's happening. They're gonna they're gonna eat somebody. You're so weird. Like why <laughs> are you so excited about this? I don't know. This is very morbid on my part, but like I I love cannibal stories and I know this is a real historical event, but I can't help but be excited, okay? And I'm sorry for these people that I had to eat somebody, but <laughs> This is exciting for me, okay? I don't know why. I, <laughs> there's something wrong with me, dear. <laughs> something broken inside. There's something about human nature that finds perverse entertainment in learning about the taboo of our cultural norms. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason you are that... A pervert. I am a, I am a pervert. There's a reason people love movies like Saw and um, that... What's that one? Um when you're traveling and you stay in hostel 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 like people like that like it's almost like a torture porn kind of movie 
you know? It's just, it's out of the norm, and it's fucked up, and people like fucked up shit. So, tell me about this fucked up shit. Who volunteered to be eaten? Well, some of them suggested a duel. Ooh. While another account describes an attempt to create a lottery to choose a member to sacrifice. Ooh, like that, like that short story that in English class. Sh- yeah, that was a pretty decent one. You know, you pick the. Uh, how did that work? It was you like um, the stone. You had to yeah, you stone, and then you would get the, somebody would get stoned to death, right? Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. William Eddy suggested that they keep moving until someone simply fell over, but <laughs> someone trips. Get him! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> but a blizzard forced the group to halt. Antonio, the animal handler, was the first to die, followed by Franklin Graves. As the blizzard progressed, Patrick Dolan began to rant deliriously, stripped off his clothes, and ran into the woods. <laughs> yeah, we he's got suffering a from hypothermia. We, we, got a, we, we got a streaker. We got a streaker. Guys, we're going streaking. Do you remember uh, yes, old school? I do. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> this is... I'm just going to tell you right now, my reactions aren't going to get any, uh, better. I'm, I'm, uh, I've, I've apparently put my, ha- uh, my foot in the, in the sand and like, or like, how was it? Drawn the line in the sand. I've drawn the line in the sand and I've jumped way past it. That's fair. I've gone over the line and I'm not coming back, okay? I'm excited about cannibalism right now. Deal with it. Cool. All right. So Patrick, he returns shortly afterwards and died a few hours later. Later. Not long after, possibly because Lemuel Murphy was near death, some of the group began to eat the flesh from Dolan's body. No way! Lemuel- it's like I saw it coming. <laughs> you did. <laughs> You've been pursuing this from the beginning. Yeah. I tried to hide it from you. Yeah. This is, w- but y- y- this is why you hype me up, isn't it? Yeah, I knew you were going to love this. Yeah. Because I was like, because like, I'll just, uh, the, the, the trek of going, you know, across Oregon, I'm like, I'm not like, there has to be a an intrigue that she would know that because you know me and there would have to be that thing that gets me you know mm-hmm. and cannibalism is it i know so they ripped off the flesh and ate it continue lemuel's sister tried to feed some of this flesh to her brother but he died shortly afterwards oh well so, i don't like that yeah people are fucking dying and you're just like eat them <laughs> eat them right now <laughs> yes again i realize i'm a monster but but I can't help it. I know, I know. I guess now I know who I married. <laughs> yeah, this is the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know what? You knew why you thought that I would love this episode is because there's cannibalism in it. So clearly you know what I'm all about. I do. And that's cannibalism. <laughs> I'm pro-cannibalism. Stop! <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm not pro-cannibalism, but I like stories about it. Continue. Okay, so some in the group, Eddie... I should just start calling him William Eddie because I keep saying Eddie, that's his last name, but it sounds yeah. like I'm talking about that's his first name. Oh, okay. Well, either way, it doesn't... I just don't want to confuse you. <laughs> I don't think you care anymore. We're talking about people eating people, so you're like, fuck it. Yeah, I'm just... I'm along for the ride now. <laughs> let's grab my popcorn and let's go. <laughs> All right. William Eddie, Salvador, and Lewis refused to eat the body. The next morning, the group stripped the muscle and organs from the bodies of Antonio, Dolan, Graves, and Murphy. Whoa. They dried them to store for the days ahead, taking care to ensure that nobody would have to eat his or her relatives. How considerate of them. Yes. After three days rest, they set off again, searching for the trail. William Eddie eventually succumbed to his hunger and ate human flesh. 
but that was soon gone, and the group had to resort to taking apart their snowshoes to eat the oxhide webbing, and they privately discussed killing Lewis and Salvador for food. Oh, damn. So remember, those are the Miwok men that came to help them. Miwok is an indigenous tribe. Oh, okay. So they were just like, yo, let's kill those people. Damn. Right? Fuck fucking colonialism. I'm I'm not for that, okay? I just want to... You know, I know I've jumped over this line, but I'm not, I'm not for murder, just killing a dude to eat them. You know, that's, that's too far for that's even one me. step too far. That's one... Got it. <laughs> there's, there's, there is the line. <laughs> there's things I won't do. Okay. William Eddy warned the two men of this and they quietly left the group. Another member, Jay Fostick died during the night, leaving only Sember. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I'm just picturing them. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to keep this in or not, but just that. <laughs> Them being warned and they'd be like, fucking white people. <laughs> probably. That's probably what they were and thinking. And they'd be like, let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah so um, Jay Fosdick died during the night. <laughs> Jay Fosdick. <laughs> Sorry. You got me so giddy. Because <laughs> I said the word dick? No, no, no. Just like this whole episode. Now I'm just like, I'm just like, this is fun. This is... <laughs> I've got a lot more to get through Okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. So, anyways, he died, leaving only seven members left of the party. William Eddy and Mary Graves left to hunt, and they returned with deer meat. However, by the time they returned, Fosdick's body had already been cut apart for food. After several more days, 25 since they had left Truckee Lake, they came across Salvador and Lewis, who had not eaten for about nine days and were close to death. William Foster shot the pair, believing that their flesh was the rest of the group's last hope of avoiding imminent death from starvation. This was the only time during the entire winter that people were murdered for the use of food. Damn. A few days later, the group stumbled upon an indigenous settlement, looking so deteriorated that the camp's inhabitants initially fled. The indigenous group then gave them what they had to eat, acorns, grass, and pine nuts. After a few days, William... (laughs) They're just going, ah, I don't, I'm, I, that doesn't sound great to me. Do you have any people? <laughs> After a few days, Eddie continued on with the help of the tribe members to a ranch in a small farming community at the edge of the Sacramento Valley. A hurriedly assembled rescue party found the other six survivors on January 17th. Their journey from Truckee Lake had taken 33 days. Now, do you remember the man James Reed? Yes, I do. He was uh, ousted from the party for killing... The Snyder Cut. Yes. Well, he had made it out of the Sierra Nevada in late October. He was safe and recovering at Sutter's Fort, but each day he became more concerned for the fate of his family and his friends. Wait, where is he now? He's he's like outside of the mountains. He's safe. He's safe. He's, yeah, so these people are stuck in the He found civilization and Yes, stuff? he did. Oh, man. <laughs> I, um, I mean, that's good for him. <laughs> he's yeah. not traumatized like these people that are having to eat. Is his family still alive? Is his, his family still alive? Yeah, his family's still alive there up in the mountains at Truckee Lake. Man, if they ever meet back with him and stuff like that, there's going to be have to be like some like family therapy sessions going on that he's not going to fully understand because he got out of there okay. He did, yeah. Um, so he pleaded with Colonel John C. Fremont to gather a team of men to cross the pass and help the group that was stuck. In return, Reed promised to join Fremont's forces and fight in the Mexican-American War. He was joined by a man named McCutcheon, as well as some members of the Harlan Young Party. The Harlan Young wagon train had arrived at Sutter's Fort on October 8th, and they were the last to make it over the Sierra Nevada that season. 
The party of roughly 30 horses and a dozen men carried food, supplies, and expected to find the Donner Party on the western side of the mountain. However, when they arrived in the river valley where they thought the group would be, they found only a random pioneer couple who had been separated from their company and they were near starvation as well. At this point, two of the guides deserted Reed and McCutcheon with some of their horses, but Reed and company pressed on up the valley to the place called Yuba Bottoms, walking the last mile on foot. Reed and McCutcheon stood looking up at a place called the Emigrant Gap, only 20 kilometers from the top, blocked by snow, possibly on the same day that the Breens attempted to lead one last effort to crest the pass from the east. Despondent, the Reed group turned back to Sutter's Fort. So this was the start of a number of relief parties trekking in to help rescue the trapped pioneers. The first relief. Much of the military in California were engaged in the Mexican-American War, and with that, many able-bodied men were busy as well. Throughout the region, roads were blocked, communications compromised, and supplies unavailable. In fact, only three men responded to a call for volunteers to help the Donner Party. A petition was started appealing to the U.S. Navy to assist the people at Truckee Lake. Two local newspapers reported that members of the Snowshoe Party had resorted to cannibalism to survive, which fostered sympathy for those who were still trapped. They raised $13,000, which was about $35,700 in 2019, and organized relief efforts to build two camps to supply a rescue party for the refugees. The first rescue party included William Eddy, and it started on February 4th from the Sacramento Valley. Rain and a swollen river forced several delays. Eddie stationed himself at Bear Valley, while the others made steady progress through the snow and storms to cross the pass to Truckee Lake, cacheting their food at stations along the way so they did not have to carry it all. Three of the rescue party turned back, but seven forged on. On February 18th, the seven men rescue party scaled Fremont Pass, which is now Donner Pass. As they neared where Eddie told them the cabins would be, they began to shout. Mrs. Murphy appeared from a hole in the snow, stared at them and asked, are you men from California, or did you come from heaven? <laughs> Man, what a, what a pickup line. <laughs> the relief party doled out food in small portions, concerned that it might kill them if the emaciated migrants overate. All the cabins were buried in snow. Sodden oxhide roofs had begun to rot, and the smell was overpowering. Thirteen people at the camps were dead, and their bodies had been loosely buried in the snow near cabin roofs. Some of the migrants seemed emotionally unstable. Three of the rescue party trekked to the Donners and brought back four gaunt children and three adults. Leanna Donner had particular difficulty walking up the steep incline, later writing, Such pain and misery as I endured that day is beyond description. George Donner's arm was now so gangrenous that he could not move. Oh. The rescuers concealed the fate of the snowshoe party, so that was the group that had, uh, had to eat each other as mm -hmm. they were escaping down the mountain to get rescued. So they informed the rescued migrants only that they had not returned to help them get out of the Truckee Lake because they were too frostbitten. Sorry, I want to just maybe I didn't follow something here is so not everyone had to eat each other. There was just a small group of them that had to eat each other. Part of the forlorn hope. Right. Okay. So that how many people was that? Twelve that went originally and six survived, I believe. Oh, okay. So there was only 12 people that had to endure the whole eating each other thing. Soon, two children, Patty and Tommy Reed, became too weak to cross the snowdrifts, and no one was strong enough to carry them. Margaret faced the agonizing predicament of accompanying her two older children to safety in Bear Valley and watching her two frailists be taken back to Truckee Lake without a parent. She made one of the rescuers promise that he would return for his children. Patty Reed told her, Well, mother, if you never see me again, do the best you can. <laughs> what, a, what a nice young lad or lass. 
Upon the children's return to the lake, the Breens at first flatly refused to let them in. However, they eventually relented. The rescue party was dismayed to find that the first cash station had been broken into by animals, leaving them without food for four days. After struggling to walk over the pass, John Denton slipped into a coma and died. Ada Kiesberg, age three, died soon afterward, and her Aww. mother was inconsolable. Oh, that's really sad. Mm-hmm. After several days more travel, travel through difficult country, the rescuers grew very concerned that the children would not survive. Some of the children ate the buckskin fringe from one of the rescuers' pants and the shoelaces of another, much to the relief party's surprise. <laughs> they were surprised? They're like, ah, they're eating the bus- buckskin fringe. I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I mean, like, if, if some kid was just, like, eating pieces off your pants, wouldn't you be confused? I'd be like, ah, get off. Get off me. <laughs> Uh, so on their way down from the mountains, they met the next rescue party that was coming up, which included R- James Reed. Upon hearing his voice, Margaret sank into the snow, overwhelmed. That's, wait, is that the... Those two were married. Oh, that's so nice. That is so nice for them. Yeah. After this relief party and the rescued migrants made it safely into Bear Valley, William Hook, Jacob Donner's stepson, broke into the food stores and fatally gorged himself. He ate till he died? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. What a fucking way to go out. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just like, because he was just so hungry, he just like couldn't, he couldn't stop, stop Yeah. That's wild. Mm-hmm. The others continued to Fort Sutter, where Virginia Reed wrote, I really thought I had stepped over into paradise. So now we have the second relief party. On March 1st, the second relief party arrived at Truckee Lake. These rescuers included veteran mountain men. An inspection of the Breen cabin found its occupants relatively well, but the Murphy cabin passed the limits of descriptions and almost of imagination. Lavinia Murphy was caring for her eight-year-old Simon and the two young children of William Eddy and Foster. She had deteriorated mentally and was nearly blind. The children were listless and had not been cleaned in days. Louis Kiesberg had moved into the cabin and could barely move due to an injured leg. No one at Truckee Lake had died in the interim between the departure of the first and arrival of the second relief party. Patrick Breen documented a disturbing visit in the last week of February from Mrs. Murphy, who said that her family was considering eating Milt Elliot. Which one was Elliot? Uh, he was just some random worker dude. Mm, yeah, that's fair then. Reed and McCutcheon eventually found Elliot's mutilated body. Oh, they ate him? Yep. Wait, I thought they said they were considering eating him. Well, and then so I think they were just... <laughs> we were considering it, and then we did it. Yeah, I think they were trying to hide what they had oh, done. Oh, <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, once you get out of that situation, it's a little bit awkward when you have to admit you eat eight people, Yeah, you know? The Donner Party camp fared no better. The first two members of the relief party to reach it saw Jean-Baptiste Trudeau carrying a human leg. When they made the <laughs> classic Trudeau, am I right? <laughs> when they made their presence known, he threw it into a hole in the snow that contained the mostly dismembered body of Jacob Donner. Inside the tent, Elizabeth Donner refused to eat, although her children were being nourished by their father's organs. Oh, what? They were eating the father? Yep. Okay. I feel like my high of cannibalism has gone down now. <laughs> You're <laughs> over is- it? Well, I wouldn't say over it, but I'm like. The kids had to eat their father's organs? Like, that's so fucked up. Well, otherwise they would die. But at least his wife wasn't eating him. Yeah, at least that. You know, I feel like I'd rather die than eat my father's organs. So. Well, they're like six, so. Th- these kids? Yeah, around that age. I don't know. I feel like at six, I was still like, 
nah, I don't want to eat people, you know? <laughs> um, in the other tent, Tamsin Donner was well, but George was very ill because the infection had reached his shoulder. This relief group evacuated 17 migrants from Truckee Lake, only three of whom were adults. Both the Breen and Graves family prepared to go. This left only five people at Truckee Lake, Keesburg, Mrs. Murphy and her son Simon, and the young Eddie and Foster children. Tamsin Donner elected to stay with her ailing husband after Reed informed her... Her what husband? Ailing, like he's dying. Oh, I thought he said alien husband. <laughs> I was like, oh. Well, now, now, I, now I really know why you got me into this. There's aliens. <laughs> ailing husband after Reed informed her that a third relief party would soon arrive. Mrs. Donner kept her daughters Eliza, Georgia, and Francis with her. The walk back to Bear Valley was very slow. At one point, Reed sent two men ahead to retrieve the first cache of food, expecting the third relief to come at any moment. A violent blizzard arose after they scaled the pass, and five-year-old Isaac Donner froze to death. Reed, too, almost died. Mary Donner's feet were so badly burned because they were so frostbitten that she did not realize that she was sleeping with them in the fire. Oh, shit. When the storm passed, the Breen and Graves family were too apathetic and exhausted to get up and move, not having eaten for days. The relief party had no choice but to leave without them. The site where the Breens and Graves had been left became known as Starved Camp. Margaret Breen reportedly took the initiative to try and keep the members of the camp alive after the other departed down the mountain. Soon, however, Elizabeth Graves and her son Franklin perished before the next rescue party could reach them, and the remaining people resorted to eating the flesh off the dead bodies in order to survive. Damn. Okay, real talk. In this situation, do you think you'd be able to eat... I know it's like it's hard to even imagine what mindset you'd be in, but like, would you rather die or would you would you eat the people? Oh, I'd be eating people. Interesting. Absolutely. I think I'd rather die. I mean, no, I would rather live interesting i uh and then i'd be there forcing you to eat it (laughs) classic wife am i right um yeah i just don't think i would have that drive to survive (laughs) i'd just be like well i'm dead now i think actually like our human instinct kicks in at that point oh interesting yeah Hmm. three members of the relief party stayed to help those remaining at the camps a man named charles stone stayed at Truckee lake and charles caddy and nicholas clark with the donners while clark was out hunting Stone traveled to Alder Creek, which is where the Donners were, and made plans with Caddy to return to California. Tamsin Donner arranged for them to take her daughters, Eliza, Georgia, and Francis with them, maybe for $500 cash, but we're not sure. Stone and Caddy took the three girls to Truckee Lake, but left them at a cabin with Keesburg and Lavinia Murphy when they started for Bear Valley. Caddy later recalled that after two days on the trail, they noted that they passed starved camp, but they did not stop to help in any way. They overtook Reed and the others within days. Several days later, at the Alder Creek camp, Clark and Trudeau agreed to leave for California together. When they reached Truckee Lake and discovered that the Donner girls were still there, they decided to go back to Alder Creek to inform Tamsin Donner. William Foster and William Eddy, survivors of the Snowshoe Party, started from Bear Valley to intercept Reed, taking with them a man named John Stark. After a day, they met Reed, helping his children struggle on toward Bear Valley, all frostbitten and bleeding, but still alive. Desperate to rescue their own children, Foster and Eddie persuaded four men, with pleading and money, to go to Truckee Lake with them. During their journey, they found the 11 survivors at Starving Camp huddled around a fire that sunk into a pit. This relief party split, with Foster and Eddie and two others headed towards Truckee Lake. 
Two of the rescuers, hoping to save some of the survivors, each took a child and headed back to Bear Valley. John Stark refused to leave the others. He picked up two children and all the provisions and assisted the remaining Breens and Graves to safety, sometimes advancing the children down the trail piecemeal, putting them down and then going back up to carry the other debilitated children. Foster and Eddie finally arrived at Trekkie Lake on March 14th, where they found their children dead. Keysburg told Eddie that he had eaten the remains of Eddie's son. Oh. And Eddie swore to murder him if they ever met in California. That's, that's fair. George Donner and one of Jacob Donner's children were still alive at Alder Creek, while Tamsin Donner had just arrived in Truckee Lake at the Murphy cabin to see her daughters. She could have walked out alone, but chose to return to her husband, even though she was told that no other relief party was likely to be coming soon. Foster and Eddie, and the rest of the third relief party, left with the Donner girls, young Simon Murphy, Trudeau, and Clark. Lavinia Murphy was too weak to leave. And Kiesberg refused. I don't really know why he just decided to stay on the mountain. He just, sorry, he... He refused to leave. He was trapped there and he was like, nah fam, I'm staying here. Huh. So was he delirious maybe or something like that? Like... I think I talk a little bit about it more okay. when, in the next couple parts. But at this point in time, I'm like, what? Yeah, that seems odd. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go. I'm staying. Two more relief parties were mustered to evacuate any adults who might still be alive. Both turned back before getting to Bear Valley, and no further attempts were made. On April 10th, almost a month since the Third Relief had left Truckee Lake, the Spanish magistrate near Sutter's Fort organized a salvage party to recover what they could of the Donner's belongings. These would be sold with part of the proceeds used to support the orphaned Donner children. The salvage party found the Alder Creek tents empty except for the body of George Donner, who had died only days earlier. On their way back to Truckee Lake, they found Lewis Kiesberg alive. According to him, Mrs. Murphy had died a week after the departure of the Third Relief Party. Some weeks later, Tamsin Donner had arrived at his cabin on her way over the pass, soaked and visibly upset. Kiesberg said he put a blanket around her and told her to start out in the morning, but she died during the night. The salvage party were suspicious of Kiesberg's story and found a pot full of human flesh in the cabin along with George Donner's pistol, jewelry, and $250 in gold. They threatened to lynch Kiesberg, who confessed that he'd stashed 273 of the Donner's money, at Tamsin's suggestion, of course, so that it could one day benefit her children. News of the Donner party's fate was spread eastward by Samuel Brannan, a journalist who ran into the salvage party as they came down from the pass with Kiesberg. Accounts of the ordeal first reached New York City in July 1847. Reporting on the event across the United States was heavily influenced by the national enthusiasm for westward migration. In some papers, News of the tragedy was buried in small paragraphs, despite the contemporary tendency to sensationalize stories. Several newspapers, including those in California, wrote about the cannibalism in graphic, exaggerated detail. In some print accounts, the members of the Donner Party were depicted as heroes, and California was praised as worthy of these significant sacrifices. In late June 1847, members of the Mormon battalion buried the human remains and partially burned two of the cabins. The few who ventured over the pass in the next few years found bones, other artifacts, and the cabin used by the Reed and Graves families. In 1891, a cache of money was found buried by the lake. It had probably been stored by Mrs. Graves, who had hastily hid it when she left with the second relief, so she returned for it later. Lansford Hastings, the man who created the Hastings cutoff, oh, yeah, that old dickhead, received death threats. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> you know, they had to eat people, so like, I get it, you know. So, of the survivors, of the 87 people who entered the Wasatch Mountains, 48 survived. 
only the Reed and Breen families remained intact. The children of Jacob Donner, George Donner, and Franklin Graves were orphaned. William Eddy was alone, and most of the Murphy family had died. A few of the widowed women remarried within months, as there were a lack of brides in California at the time. The Reeds settled in San Jose, and two of the Donner children lived with them. Reed did well for himself in the California gold rush and became prosperous. The Murphy survivors lived in Marysville, California, and the Breens made their way to San Juan Batista, where they operated an inn. George and Tamson Donner's children were taken in by an older couple near Sutter's Fort. The Graves' children lived varied lives. Mary Graves married early, and her first husband was murdered. She cooked his killer's food while he was in prison to ensure that the condemned man did not starve before his hanging. And I think that maybe this was due to her experiences in the mountains. Nancy Graves was nine years old during the winter of 1846 to 1847 and refused to acknowledge her involvement, even when contacted by historians interested in recording the most accurate versions of events. Nancy reportedly was unable to recover from her role in the cannibalism of her brother and mother. Eddie remarried and started a family in California. He attempted to follow through on his promise to murder Louis Kiesberg, but he was dissuaded by James Reed. Kiesberg himself brought a defamation suit against several members of the salvage party who had accused him of murdering Tamson Donner. The court awarded him $1 in damages, but also made him pay court costs. An 1847 story printed in the California Star described Kiesberg's actions in ghoulish terms and his near lynching by the salvage party. It reported that he preferred eating human flesh to eating the cattle and horses that had become exposed in the spring thaw. That was just something that was reported that wasn't necessarily true. Yeah. Ah, interesting. But also, like, why did he not come down from the mountain? Right. <laughs> yeah. This, sorry, okay, this was the guy that was like, no, I'm not going. Right. Uh. But, to be fair, historian Charles McGlashan gathered enough material to formally accuse Kiesberg for the murder, but after interviewing him, he concluded that no murder occurred. Liza Donner also believed that Kiesberg did not murder her mother. Although some survivors disputed the accounts of cannibalism, Charles McGlashan, that same historian... Uh, who corresponded with many of the survivors over a 40-year period, documented many recollections that it did occur. Some correspondents were not forthcoming, approaching their participation with shame, but others eventually spoke about it freely. McGlashan, in his book, declined to include some of the more morbid deaths, such as the suffering of the children and the infants before they died, or how Mrs. Murphy, according to Georgia Donner, gave up, laid down on her bed, and faced the wall when the last of her children left in the third relief. He also neglected to mention any cannibalism at Alder Creek, but to George's recollection, who was four at the time, said that human flesh was prepared for the people in Alder Creek, but that it was only given to the youngest children, saying, Father was crying and did not look at us the entire time, and we little ones felt that we could not help it. There was nothing else. She also remembered that Elizabeth Donner, Jacob's wife, announced one morning that she had cooked the arm of Samuel Shoemaker. Archaeological findings at the Alder Creek camp, and that's where the Donners were, proved inconclusive for evidence of cannibalism. None of the bones tested at the Alder Creek cooking hearth could be identified with certainty as human. Not all of the emigrants engaged in cannibalism, and as I stated, as their supplies dwindled, they resorted to in eating increasingly grotesque meals. They slaughtered their pack animals, cooked their dogs, gnawed on leftover bones, and even boiled the animal hide roofs of their cabinets. Several people died from malnutrition, but the rest managed to subsist on morsels of boiled leather and tree bark until rescue parties arrived in February and March. All told, roughly half of the Donner Party survivors eventually resorted to eating human flesh. The attention directed at the Donner Party is made possible by reliable accounts of what occurred 
and the fact that the cannibalism, though it might be called a minor part of this whole story, has become, in the popular mind, the chief fact to be remembered about the Donner Party, because a taboo always allures with as great strength as it repels. The appeal is also that the events focused on families and ordinary people instead of rare individuals, and the events are a dreadful irony that the hopes of prosperity, health, and a new life in California's California's fertile valleys led many only to misery, hungry, and death on her stony threshold. The site of the cabins has since become a tourist attraction as early as 1854. There are monuments. That's not that far off from when this happened. I know. There are monuments and statues dedicated to the Donner Party. The state of California created the Donner Memorial Park State Park in 1927. In 1962, the Emigrant Trail Museum was added to tell the history of westward migration into California. The state of California justifies memorializing the site because the episode was an isolated and tragic incident of American history that has been transformed into a major folk epic. As of 2003, the park is estimated to receive 200,000 visitors a year. Oh, wow. So, Dakota, what do you think? Well, you know I find cannibalism fascinating, so you really got me with that hook. For sure. You seem like kind of done with it at the end, though. Yes. Yeah, you Yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It got, like, I know, like, at first I was picturing, I don't know, just, like, I was mov- movializing it or whatever you want to say. Like, um, because, like, just picturing, like, this is a story and picturing it like you would, you know, read a book or watch a movie. And then as we got further in, I was, like, starting to be, like, more like it's like a oh shit, no, this really happened. These are real people. This is really fucked up. Mm-hmm. So it started to hit me more, especially when it got into like the kids, especially the kids eating their father's organs. Like that really hit me as like... Yeah, you got really quiet after that part. Yeah, that was... So you're not a monster. <laughs> yeah, but the people that shut this off halfway through are going to be like... <laughs> This shouldn't be called the reluctant historian. This should be called uh, cannibalism and you. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it it was an interesting trip. Uh, (laughs) Like, you know, I don't know if you want to say no pun intended because they were on a trip. But I found it overall really interesting. The stuff they the amount of things that people will do to survive is a big takeaway from this for me is like wow like that they weren't just like no i'd rather die than do this you know but um i found the only two things i i felt were um this isn't this is just the story kind of how it had to go kind of thing is just the fact that that the first episode we did was just a lot of setup for this which is understandable but i was like in my head, I'm like, when are we going to get to the cannibalism? When are we going to get to the cannibalism, yeah, I know. you know? So, and also, there were so many characters. Um, again, real people. <laughs> These aren't, it's not like a characters in a, in a book or whatever, but it, it made it hard to follow who, hard to care for certain people, because I'm like, I don't remember who the fuck that was. So, and that's, that's an area I struggled with. I'm like, okay, this person's doing that, but then that person's doing that. So, it felt a little bit of Game of Thronesy where there's so many characters and it's hard to follow what's going on. But the extent that humans would go to to survive and reach that California dream, which is what we all dream about, you know? So I just uh, think that was wild, the lengths that people are willing to go. Mm-hmm. So my rating. I will give this 8.5 
Snyder got cut out of 10. Perfect. What do you think about that? Well. Are you a little disappointed? It's less than what I thought you would read it. So let me tell you why. I was I was thinking 9, but then I did take into account my my complaints with the story, which is just the, the setup was, was really... Um, it felt really long for for me to keep my focus, and just how many characters there were, I had a hard time following it. So I couldn't, I couldn't really give it a nine because of because of those things. But I did really enjoy the overall story of every, of everything. I found it um just really intriguing. So mm-hmm. yeah, so eight point five. And also, I want to ask: Did you when going into telling me the story, did you assume I was gonna? jump to cannibalism or were you surprised when i assumed they were gonna eat each other no because the way that i kind of set it up i figured you would be able to pick up on it oh okay okay i just i, was I wasn't sure hoping it... you wouldn't pick up on it but you're i guess smarter than i thought <laughs> oh geez thanks <laughs> <laughs> cool so that's all we have for this week we'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us if you enjoyed listening to what we had to say Please subscribe and download our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Leave a review or tell your friends about us. If you want to stay in contact or see behind-the-scenes action, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian. Or if you want to shoot us an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted, you can email us at thereluctanthistorian at gmail.com. So we'll see you next week. Same time same place and just because i feel like i'm gonna have to give an apology next week uh, i in no way support cannibalism and you can take that to the bank planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.